Let me have you uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Uh, while you're turning, I am excited to let our men know that this Tuesday night at uh, 6 uh, p.m. is our first men's barbecue of the summer. It will be at Matt Selfer's uh, home in Orange Crest. And all of you men, uh, young and old, are more than invited to come. If you get our men's ministry emails, uh, you'll see the address to the Selfer's home uh, in that uh, email. Uh, but if you don't get those emails, please stop by the welcome table after the service and pick up a flyer that has the information on it uh, that you need. This Tuesday night, we're going to be eating a meal of burgers together and then worshiping uh, the Lord together through song and then hearing a message from the book of Judges, uh, which we are reading and advancing uh, through the summer. So please, men, join us for this time. And if you plan on bringing any kind of salad or beans or dessert, uh, please let Matt Selfers or Ben Nunley know so that they can coordinate uh, the menu. Uh, otherwise, just come. Uh, this barbecue represents a great opportunity for us to come together as men during the summer months. So we would love to have you join us for this time and advance together with us through the book of Judges. Okay. Well, Hebrews chapter uh, 11, I want to preach a little bit different of a message uh, this morning, um, and you'll observe the difference as we, uh, we go um, this morning. But the title of the message is, Faith is the Substance of Things Hoped For. Faith is the Substance of Things Hoped For. And we're going to be looking at verse 1 and then also taking a look at a portion of, of verse 7 of Hebrews 11 uh, this morning. When I share uh, my testimony of faith in Christ, uh, I don't always begin my testimony with the months and weeks leading up to the day of my conversion, although sometimes I do. Uh, if I have the time, I'd like to begin my salvation testimony by telling people about my dad, because what happened to my dad is a vital part of my own gospel narrative, and I'd like to share something of that uh, with you this morning. My dad grew up in Detroit, Michigan in a godless family characterized by brokenness and absolutely no religious training. His parents divorced when he was young, and his only memories of his biological father as a kid were the times when his dad would bring an alimony check to his mom every other week. My dad's mom remarried a few years after their divorce, and my dad had a stormy and a distant relationship with his stepdad. At the age of 17, my dad was losing interest in school. He was burned out from playing too much baseball. His search for thrills had him making bad decisions, committing petty crimes, and heading quickly in the wrong direction 
such that he eventually found himself standing before a juvenile judge at the Wayne County Courthouse who spoke some words to my dad that my dad would never forget. The judge said to him, and I quote, If I had a crystal ball and I could look into your future, I would see one of two things. It's either going to be four in the core or ten in the pen once you turn 18. My dad used to tell us that he wasn't good at math back then, but he thought to himself, four years in the Marine Corps is a lot better than 10 years in prison. So he joined the Marines and he went to boot camp at Camp Pendleton. And shortly thereafter, he found himself stationed at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, where at the age of 19, he met a young woman named Janie. She brought him to church with her, and it was after a service one Sunday night that my dad found himself sitting outside in front of the church with a heart that was heaving with the realization of his need for salvation. The man who had preached the sermon that evening approached my dad as he sat there, and long story short, that night my dad called upon Jesus Christ and received salvation through him. At the age of 20, my dad married Janie. They both, both knew so little, and they felt so unready to have a Christian marriage and to build a Christian home. But there was an older couple in the church who took my mom and my dad under their wing, often inviting them over to their house and sometimes babysitting for them after my oldest brother was born. This couple helped my mom and dad and encouraged them in the ways of Christ. The name of the couple was Milton and Betty Edison. And my parents named me Milton as a way of honoring the role of this couple in their life. And to this day, I'm very thankful that my parents chose to name me after Milton rather than Betty. <laughs> My dad ended up staying in the Marine Corps for 20 years, which was 16 years longer than he had planned and 10 years longer than the prison sentence that he was trying to avoid. During that time span, my dad did three tours of duty in Vietnam a six-month tour in the Mediterranean, and a handful of shorter tours elsewhere. He was literally overseas or away from home for four years of the first 12 years of his married life. But somewhere in the midst of all of that, he and my mom found a way to have four children, of whom I was the second. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, and I'm going to give you the King James rendering of this verse. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And perhaps what I am most grateful for regarding my dad is that he was willing to 
look beyond the brokenness that his eyes had seen all around him growing up, and he was willing to embark on a radically different life shaped by Jesus Christ and his faith in Christ, a life which up to that point had been unseen by him. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the text says, By faith Noah, being instructed by God about things not yet seen, in fear prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Notice those words, not yet seen. Noah had never seen it rain like God said it was going to rain. Noah had never seen a flood. Noah had never built an ark before, nor had he ever seen an ark before. I'm pretty sure Noah's dad had never built an ark before, so Noah had no example to follow in regards to that. But God told Noah that a huge flood was coming, and Noah believed it. And God told Noah to build an ark, and Noah apparently heard that and believed that if God was telling him to build a 450-foot long ark, then he could do that. I'm pretty sure Noah had never seen himself as an ark builder before. But if God was calling him to be an ark builder, then Noah decided to believe that he could become exactly what God was calling him to be. And so doing, Noah displayed the kind of faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so Noah prepared an ark, and the text says in verse 7 that he did so for the salvation of his household. His own wife and three sons and their wives were wonderfully saved because Noah was willing to have the kind of faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Unlike Noah, my dad never never built an ark. But by the grace of God, he did something just as wonderful, in my opinion. He built a home that led to the salvation of his four children, including me. In building such a home, my dad was living out of faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Throughout his years growing up in Detroit, Michigan, my dad's earthly father gave him no example or vision of what my dad could become. But when my dad read God's word as a 20-year-old newborn in Christ, he saw that God was calling him to build a godly home. He saw that God was calling him to have a godly marriage and to lead his family in the things of Christ And that God was calling him to be a dad and a husband, the likes of which my dad had never seen with his eyes. No one who knew my dad would have seen these things in him. My dad hadn't seen such things in himself either. But as the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By the grace of God, my dad with the invaluable help of my mom, 
built a home for the salvation of his household. And this morning, I would like to point out just six things that my dad did by faith that contributed to building a home life that proved to be instrumental for my salvation and the salvation of my siblings and our children as well. And as I share these things, I I do so in the hopes that they will leave you encouraged and more hopeful as a parent. So six things that my dad did by faith that contributed substantially to the salvation of his household. Number one, he loved the Word of God. He loved the Word of God. Write down this reference, Psalm 119, verse 97. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And that exclamation expressed the heart of my dad. It was very clear to me from my earliest days that my dad loved the Bible. He loved the Word of God. My dad loved books about the Bible, and he stocked his library with thousands of them. But there was no book he enjoyed reading more than the Bible itself. Thinking back on my high school years, I can remember many mornings walking downstairs and through the hallway of our home as I was getting ready for school and I would see my dad in the mornings sitting at his desk and reading his Bible. The sight of my dad reading his Bible always left me with a feeling of peace and security. I always knew that our family would be okay because dad was reading God's word and listening to God. As for my dad's Bible, it was the most well-worn book in our home. I used to love going into his study and grabbing his Bible and combing through the pages of his Bible, which were marked up with notations in many different colors of pencil. I looked, but I honestly could not find one page of his Bible that did not have some text underlined or some notation on it. I could also go through his Bible and tell what his favorite passages of Scripture were because those particular pages were unusually worn and stained from the oily residue of his fingers as he lingered over those pages. I love the look and the feel and the smell of my dad's Bible, so much so that when I got my first leather-bound Bible in high school, I immediately began rubbing my fingers on the pages in order to create that same stained look that my dad's Bible had, but I could never quite get my Bible to look like his. So parents, let me warn you and encourage you with this thought. Be very careful what you love. Your passions are the most contagious thing about you. And your children will almost certainly be more influenced by your loves than they are by your lectures. So love God. 
Make God your highest passion and love his word. My dad loved the word of God and the contagion of his love for the Bible has marked me and my siblings for life. Along these lines, there's something else my dad did that contributed wonderfully to the salvation of his family. Number two, he grew before our eyes. He grew before our eyes. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 15, Paul tells Timothy to take pains with the word of God and the things of God and to be absorbed in them. And then he says, so that your progress may be evident to all. And I can honestly say that while my dad was not an example of perfection to us kids, he was an example of progress. And in the process, I believe he gave us a greater gift than the gift of perfection. After my dad got saved at the age of 19, uh, wonderfully, uh, the Lord immediately released him from his bondage to alcohol. My dad wanted nothing to do with the ways of drunkenness because he had seen with his own eyes the generational ravages of alcohol on his family. But though he was immediately done with alcohol, my dad had a very hard time breaking free from his addiction to smoking. However, right around the time that my older brother was born, my dad had smoked his last cigarette. And I grew up knowing and hearing the story about how God used Philippians 4.13 to deliver him from that slavery. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my dad would quote and meditate on that passage whenever he was tempted to smoke, which ushered him to a place of victory over that area of bondage in his life. And I grew up knowing that I could do all things through Christ because I saw that exemplified in my dad. Since we're talking about drinking and smoking, I might as well say something about cussing too. Um, my dad heard an awful lot of cussing growing up and he cussed a lot as a teenager depending on who it was that he was around. But when Christ saved him, Christ cleaned up his mouth. And because of that, I never once remember my dad ever uttering a cuss word, which is amazing to me because I gave him so many reasons to utter <laughs> such a cuss word. Looking back, I honestly marvel at, at this. Given the background that my dad grew up in and given his 20 years in the Marine Corps, it is a stunning thing that I never once heard my dad cuss. The closest I ever saw him come to cussing was one occasion when we were all getting in the car to go somewhere, and in a moment of frustration, he said to someone in the family, embrace yourselves, he said, shut up. <laughs> that was like a cuss word to us kids. And so we were all left staring at each other in disbelief over these words that had come out of my dad's mouth. That moment is so vivid in my memory to this day because it's honestly the worst thing I ever heard my dad say. 
Having said all of that, my dad still had his issues. And we, as children, were witness to some of them. My dad failed along the way in some significant ways, ways that put him in the same category as you and me and Abraham and Jacob and King David and other biblical characters who failed to live up to God's ideal. My dad had an anger problem. And at times I witnessed his anger and saw it do damage to relationships in our family. But even in this area, I watched him grow over the years. I watched him mature and gain increasing control over his spirit. I can remember moments in high school and college when I fully expected an angry response from my dad, and I got a calm and measured response from him instead. Those moments stand out in my memory more vividly than any moments of anger that preceded them. I should also say that my mom and dad have not had a perfect marriage either. They have enjoyed seasons of warmth and great affection, and we children were witness to those wonderful seasons I can remember occasions of walking into a room and catching my mom and dad making out on the couch. And they would quickly separate, looking sheepish and guilty, while I shook my head at them with grave disapproval. (laughs) But my parents also had stormy seasons in their marriage that were fraught with struggle and pain. And I remember those moments vividly as well. But by God's grace, they weathered those storms and stayed committed to one another. And they are still together and still praying together and still holding hands 61 years into their marriage. I share all of this to encourage you dads and moms with this thought. If, if you have been a parent for any longer than one day, you've already blown the opportunity to give to your children the gift of a perfect parent. But having failed in that endeavor, you actually now have the opportunity to give your children, I believe, an even greater gift And that is the gift of a repenting parent, a growing parent who clings to the mercy of a perfect Savior. So what if you failed to be the hero that you wanted to be to your children? God never called you to be their hero anyway. But if you are a gospel-clinging parent, repenting and Growing each day, you can point your children through your life and your words to Jesus as the one and only hero savior they truly need. And I'm thankful that God gave me a dad and a mom who taught me to look to Christ as the only hero and savior that I need. There's another thing my dad did that contributed substantially to the salvation of his family. Let's word it this way. He led us in family worship. He led us in family worship. 
His methods were very, very simple. In Joshua 24, verse 14, Joshua says to the people of Israel, As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. And that was my dad's philosophy as we grew up in his home. My dad never saw family worship practiced as he was growing up as a kid, but he became convinced that he needed to launch this practice in his own home. Consequently, my earliest memories are of us as a family gathering together each night in our living room and of my dad just opening the Bible and reading the Bible to us. He would also read to us from a simple devotional book for children, a book that featured stories with spiritual lessons for life. And some of the stories that he read to us when I was four and a half years old are still vivid in my memory today. Parents, don't underestimate the impact of the stories that you read to your children, along with the impact of the scriptures that you read to them. When my dad and I were talking a few years ago about how he used to read to us from the Bible each night, he shared with me that he especially enjoyed doing that because he never got to hear the stories of the Bible read to him when he was a kid. And he told me, he said, I felt like I was just learning the Bible right along with you kids. And whenever you would ask me questions, I would research and dig a little deeper so that I could have answers to your questions. He didn't gather us for such occasions because he was some great font of infinite wisdom. He was there as a dad reading and learning right along together with us kids. In the interest of full disclosure, as the years rolled by, there were many days in which the practice of family worship dropped from our family life, but then my dad would feel convicted about that and he would start up again and then he would waver again and then start up again. As a father myself, I know how hard it is to gather the family together for such purposes and I personally myself have failed on as many days if I, as I have succeeded, but I am grateful for what my dad strived to do and for each day that he did succeed in sitting us down and just reading the Bible to us and praying with us. I learned from my dad that God is a God who is worthy of our worship as a family in whatever format you might choose to do that in. There's something else my dad did that led to the salvation of his family and my backside does not feel warm and fuzzy as I talk about this fourth thing, and that is he disciplined us with love. He disciplined us with love. In Proverbs 13, 24, write that reference down, Proverbs 13, 24, Solomon says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. In Proverbs 23, 13, Solomon says, do not withhold discipline from the child. 
Our world today would never say what I just read. But this is what God says. And it would be an understatement to say that my dad obeyed these commands on many occasions with religious fervor uh, because we gave him so many occasions and good reasons to do so. When it was needful, my dad spanked us in obedience to Scripture. And at the time, I hated those spankings. But I never once remember my dad spanking us out of anger. And I don't ever remember him spanking me without coming to me afterwards to minister healing to my heart. After each spanking, my dad would sit me on his lap and he would hug me. He would hold me close to his chest and he would embrace me and tell me how much he loved me. My memories of such moments on my dad's lap are more vivid to me than the spankings that I received. I felt like more of a king on my father's lap on such occasions than any king ever felt upon a throne. Every time I think about memories like what I just shared, it occurs to me that my dad never once got to sit on his father's lap and have his father embrace him and minister healing to him after discipline. My dad never saw this done in his own upbringing, but he launched out and did something that he had never personally experienced before because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's something else my dad did that led to the salvation of his family. Number five, he loved the church. He loved the church. How many of you, just raise your hand, uh, how many of you would like to be like Christ? Just raise your hand. Excellent. Uh, if you do want to be like Christ, then you're going to want to note in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that Christ loved the church. And he demonstrated that love by giving himself up in death for her. That was the depth of his love for the church. And my dad mirrored the heart of Christ. He loved the church and he gave to the local church his very best. This is going to sound strange to your ears at first, but I never remember my mom or dad ever making a decision to attend church, to go to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Wednesday evening. We children grew up knowing that that decision had already been made long before we showed up. And we were simply living in the good of that decision that had been made long before. Church attendance was never a choice that they would labor over on Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings. It was always just assumed. Attending church was as automatic to me growing up 
as the sun rising in the morning and setting in the evening and everything took a back seat to gathering with God's people, including, I'll have to say, the Sunday nights of the Super Bowl, even when the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing, which I did not appreciate at the time, but I do now. And I'm not, I don't share this to legislate for anyone. People make different decisions and and I completely respect that. I'm just simply describing the way things were in our family growing up. But I, I played a number of sports growing up. I played seven years of baseball, four years of football, four years of soccer, and one very pathetic year of basketball. In fact, the name of our basketball team was the Rainbows. And as you can imagine, just our name struck fear into the hearts of our opponents. But through all the years of engagement in these various sports, never once did I or my siblings miss a church service because of a practice or because of a game. At the beginning of every season, my dad would talk to the coach and explain to the coach that church came first. And our family, and he would tell the coach that if there is a practice or a game or any part thereof that conflicted with church, then we would miss all or some of that practice or game. And thankfully, as we grew up, our coaches were respectful of that. Consequently, I remember many times leaving practice early or leaving a game early and changing clothes in the car on our way to church and eating a tinfoil wrapped meal in the car while our parents drove us to church. I don't remember, maybe we did, I, I don't have memory of us kids ever complaining about it and it's not because we were virtuous, godly children, it was just simply the way it was. We never knew anything different. Plus, meals wrapped in tinfoil were our favorites after a hard game or practice, and we simply grew up with the sense that this is just the way it is. Through their example, my parents instilled in us a belief that the local church is a happening place in the kingdom of God, the apple of God's eye, and the center of God's activity on earth, and that nothing on earth was more important than what God was doing through his redeemed community in the local church. Now, mind you, the churches we attended were far from perfect. They were full of colorful characters and flawed people whom our family still reminisces about to this day. At one of our churches, you always knew where to find the deacons after church because after the Sunday morning service was over, they would make a beeline for the exits so that they could smoke their cigarettes on the front steps of the church and greet people as they left. When I was about 12 years old, an argument broke out during a Sunday morning service between our pastor and a church member. In the service that evening, a police officer literally had to be present to keep things in order. And that particular church had a split right down the middle that night, which left my parents 
having to look for another church in the weeks that followed. But they never gave up on the church of Jesus Christ. They love the church with all of its broken people, just like Jesus loves you and me. When my dad retired from the Marine Corps at the age of 37, he enrolled at Indianapolis Baptist College and got a degree in Bible. And after graduating, he, he was succeeding in business at that point, which was unexpected uh, and not planned by him. But given the success he was experiencing, he made it his ministry to pastor on the weekends struggling churches that could not afford a pastor. He would insist that they pay him something just so they could get in the habit of supporting a pastor, but he would always put the money back in the offering plate and donate it back to the church. And eventually when that church would become strong enough and big enough to afford a pastor, my dad would shepherd them toward a new pastor and then he would step aside. So strong was my parents' love for the local church that when all four of us children reached maturity and it came time to decide what we would do with our lives, all four of us, with no pressure from our parents, chose ministry in the local church to one degree or another. My older brother served as a youth pastor in the Midwest for three and a half years I chose to be a pastor of a church on the West Coast. My younger brother chose to be a pastor on the East Coast and now pastors in the Midwest. And my sister married a man who is now serving as the senior pastor of our home church in Indiana. All of this and never one time do I have any memory of either of our parents ever telling us to be pastors or nudging us in that direction. But how did that happen? Well, from a human standpoint, what happened was that we all grew up and wanted to be involved in the one enterprise that will outlive every other institution, that would outlive every baseball season, every football squad, every trophy, the one institution that would even outlive the sun, the moon, and the stars. And that institution is the church. And I don't share what I just shared with you to impose any legalistic sense of what occupations your children are supposed to choose. I'm just telling you what happened in our case. Not everyone is supposed to become pastors of churches, but we are all blessed to be a part of the church. Amen? And we are blessed to love the church and serve the church, serving in Christ's church with whatever the gifts are that God has given to us and to thereby manifest the heart of Jesus Christ towards his precious bride, which is the church. I learned that from my parents, and you should want your children to learn that from you as well. You should want your children to be powerful servants in the church of Jesus Christ. In whatever capacity, God leads them to serve. And you should want to model that for them by loving the church just like Jesus does. 
Along these lines, there's one final thing that my dad did that led to the salvation of his family. Number six, he demonstrated that salvation is available to all. He demonstrated, he believed and demonstrated that salvation is available to all. John 3.16. I don't know if you've heard of that verse before. Uh, If you haven't, let me read it to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. My dad truly believed that whoever believes in Jesus, no matter the brokenness and no matter their sins, no matter their age, can receive the gift of eternal life. And my dad lived that out. He walked and ministered to others in the good of that assurance. When I was younger, my dad involved himself in a ministry at the local rescue mission near where we lived. And he would go to that rescue mission and he would preach the gospel to the men who were there whose lives had been broken by drunkenness and slavery to other sins. And he would often take me and one of my brothers with him, and we would watch him as he would lead those men in the singing of hymns and then preach Jesus Christ to them. And then he would join with them for a meal and talk with them as friend with friend. From my earliest days, I remember my dad leading us as a family in praying for the salvation of these men. Because of this, I grew up seeing that no one is ever beyond the reach of God's love and that no brokenness is too great for God to heal and that it is never too late in life for a person to cry out to God for salvation. And I learned that I myself was not beyond the reach of God's grace. I know my dad would preach that very message to you this morning if he was here. If you have never yet believed in Christ for salvation, I plead with you to call upon the name of Jesus and believe in him and receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And you will discover that in this world of elusive dreams and shadows, that Jesus himself is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I was in college, my dad's biological father died. We all as a family went up to Detroit, Michigan for the funeral and I vividly remember standing beside my dad before the service started. We were both looking at the body of his dad as we lingered beside his casket and looking at the well-dressed corpse of my dad's father in the coffin. I asked my dad, what was he like when you were growing up? And I'll never forget my dad's answer. He said, I don't know. I don't know. And his answer hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had a little epiphany 
right there. I realized in that moment what I'm telling you in this message. I realized that my dad had no example to look at and to follow. He came from a home life of brokenness, a home life that knew nothing of Jesus Christ. And as I stood there in that moment, standing beside my dad, pondering the fact that he had no example from his upbringing that he could pattern himself after, I appreciated like never before that my dad had done a tremendous job of parenting me and my siblings. In my youthful pride, I had been critical of my dad during that season, and I had been more focused on his shortcomings than on the good that was in him. But his answer to my question that day changed my perspective instantly. I wrote him a letter shortly after that moment and officially gave him an A as a dad. And today, I would say the same thing. I give my dad an A because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My dad was willing to step out in faith and allow Jesus to make him into something that he was never blessed to see with his own eyes as he grew up. I am thankful that my dad did not allow himself to be limited and held captive by what he had seen, but was willing to become something that he had never yet seen. I give my dad an A, but if you ask my dad what grade he would give himself, he would give himself a much lower grade, but he would give Jesus an A plus for being the perfect savior to him all along the way. A few years ago, my dad and mom were visiting us here in California. And while they were here, my dad uh, took us all out to eat at the Sizzler restaurant in Moreno Valley. And during the course of our conversation over the meal, I asked my dad a simple question about his biological father. My dad heard the question and very casually and conversationally began to answer my question. And then all of a sudden, he lost his composure and began to weep, unable to finish his answer. It was an awkward moment for all of us at the table, but there was a poignant sweetness in the moment that was palpable to me. It hit me then and it hits me now that my dad is now 80 years old and he still carries in his heart the wounds of an absent father. Those wounds are still as raw today as they were 70 years ago. My dad knows that he will live and die and never be pursued by his earthly father, or hear his father say, I'm proud of you, son. My dad carries such wounds with deep feeling. And other than that moment in the Sizzler restaurant, he keeps his feelings carefully tucked away in his heart and tries not to bother us with his wounds. 
but I don't have such wounds. And I know why. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't carry such wounds because by the grace of God, my dad was willing to read God's word and believe it and step out and let God chart a course for him that was different than anything my dad had seen while growing up. When God told my dad to lead his family in devotion to God, he did it, even though he had never imagined himself doing such a thing before. When God told him to walk in freedom from bondage to sin, he learned to walk in freedom, even though he had never seen himself walking in such freedom before. When my dad fell into sin, he returned to God and he found grace with God and he kept on believing in Jesus and looking to Christ. When God told my dad to love his children and to be a godly father to them, my dad stepped out in faith and he learned over the long haul to do that, even though he had never seen his dad do such things for him. What was unseen by my newly converted father back in 1962, what he had to accept by faith that he could become, I have seen with my own eyes. And my life and the life of my two brothers and my sisters, or my sister, singular, and the lives of my parents, 17 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren, and your lives are forever richer because of it. And by the way, God's grace doesn't only work its way downward through the lineage. God's grace also worked its way back up into my dad's parents' lives as well. My dad's dad and my dad's stepmom received Christ a few years before they died. And my mom had the privilege of leading my dad's biological mom to Christ shortly before she passed away. And my dad also had the privilege of leading two of his sisters to Christ. I share about my dad this morning partly to encourage those of you who come from backgrounds characterized and plagued by unbelief and brokenness and dysfunction. If that is your background, don't let your family history define you and tell you what isn't possible. Don't let your own past and even your present failures define you and tell you what is and is not possible. Get your vision for your life from the crucified and risen Christ not from your family history, and not even from your own personal history. If you're reading God's word and God tells you to do something that you've never seen in your family history before, well, then step out and do what God tells you to do in his word and chart a new path. If God tells you in his word to do something that you've never seen yourself do before, step out in faith and do that and the strength that he provides. And in the process, give your children an upbringing that you never had and let God use you to bring about a slow motion 
and a far-reaching miracle that will impact the lives of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and impact the lives of everyone whom their lives will touch. And finally, for you young people who are being raised in Christian homes, I, I plead with you this morning, honor the legacy of Christ that your parents have given to you, however imperfectly they have given it to you. As Jesus says, to whom much is given, much will be required. It pains me to confess that we parents have fallen short in countless ways. You deserve better than what you've received from us, and our Lord deserves so much better from us than what we have done in serving you. But don't let our failures turn you away from the legacy of Christ that we have so imperfectly sought to give to you. Be thankful for the good that you have received. And if anything, let our failures motivate you to do better than we have done, to go farther than we have gone, and to stand on our shoulders and see farther in your day than we were able to see in ours. And one day give your children an even more substantial legacy in Christ than what we were able to give to you. And in the process, show your children and the world the truth of the statement that faith in Jesus Christ is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray together. Lord, it's so easy to live in the moment, be driven by the tyranny of the urgent, to put off to tomorrow what we know you want us to do today, but most of your miracles are slow motion miracles that accumulate over the long haul of hundreds of thousands of decisions made over the course of one's life. I pray again for the dads and the moms of Cornerstone, Lord, that you would and all dads and moms that are in this room this morning, that you would help them to choose wisely, to play the long game, to not live simply for the moment and to not live for themselves anything that anyone would live for apart from Christ is so small and puny and vulnerable and temporal only what is done for Christ will last. The church is the one institution that will endure through all of eternity. Souls of our children 
and the souls of all whose lives we touch will endure forever. Help us to live in light of eternity. May the gravity of these things, Lord, seize upon us and help us to lift up our eyes and live with eternity and the long game in view. Convict us where conviction is warranted, but even where you convict us, Lord, encourage us with your love and with your grace and with the forgiveness that you stand ready to lavish upon us. And if there's any here today who've never believed in you, Lord, draw them to yourself in salvation today. And if there's any here today that's just been going sideways and floundering and not walking with you and living deliberately for you, help them to make a start of that today and begin to build something over the long haul through your grace that you would give them lavishly that would redound to the glory of Jesus in the days to come and in the age to come. I thank you for all the moms and dads in this church, Lord, who so beautifully are living out the very types of things we've been talking about this morning. Thank you for their example, the light that exudes from them to the blessing of their children and to all of our blessing as well. Strengthen them and encourage them in all that they do. And fix all of our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus, for it is from you that all of this good can come. We commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said,